0: Morning. As you know, I've I've made it uh, somewhat of a practice, if not a, a discipline, to make fun of our current lead pastor for his age. And now I'm really grieving the fact that I don't know what I'm going to make fun of this this new one for. So prepare yourself for a lot of bald jokes. Maybe I don't know. Uh, that's my first dig at Spencer right there. Uh, well, welcome. My name is Jake. I'm an associate pastor here at Schweitzer, and I got a story to share with you as we start this morning. Um, five years ago, 2014. I was at a prayer retreat. Uh, we, we tend to do these here and there, and it was, it was part of uh, Schweitzer's community that was there down in Arkansas. And uh, as is typical at a prayer retreat, we broke off into threes, and we prayed over one another. And we were encouraged not to withhold any request, right? Be bold, ask, uh, ask for anything. And so I had had uh, some trouble with my neck for Probably six or seven years at that point in time I'd never uh, overcome it and uh, and so I prayed or I, I asked the, the men praying over me uh, to pray that God would heal my neck and it happened uh, right there in that prayer um, for for five minutes or so as one man uh, in particular, I felt his hand on my neck I, I sensed the weight of the spirit upon me I sensed this really uh, I felt a it's hard to explain, a, a warmth and energy a, a tingling that was unlike anything uh, coming through his hand into my body, uh, my, my eyelids kind of started fluttering which is a sort of a very common sign actually when the Spirit is upon you. Uh, and uh, anyway, so when this was all done, I, just, I had a very strong sense that, I, that God had answered that prayer. And what was even more powerful is I looked back to the man uh, who had his hand on me and we made eye contact and he was just as bewildered as I was, and he said, did you feel that? And we didn't even need to say what happened, we just knew. He said, yeah, God healed you through me, didn't he? And I said, yes, he did. I tell you this story this morning because we are talking about healing. Specifically, miraculous healing. And to be honest, I don't have much experience or knowledge in this arena of the faith. Uh, To be even more honest, I'd rather talk to you about the inward works of healing and the the spiritual aspects of Christianity, how God can forgive your sins and heal you. of And and that's all totally uh, real and relevant, and yet, we can't avoid this topic of God's power being made manifest uh, through physical signs and wonders, um, some of which include physical healing. Our scripture today presents two cases of miraculous physical healing. And it's immediately after these two cases of miraculous physical healing, we're in Luke chapter eight, that at the beginning of Luke chapter nine, Jesus gives authority to his 12 disciples, the apostles, to cast out all demons and heal all diseases. And they go out and do it. So so his power to heal, he gives to them. And it's immediately afterwards in Luke chapter 10, you can read it for yourself, he gives it the same authority to cast out all demons and heal all diseases, not just to his 12 apostles, but to the 72 disciples. And he tells them, to pray for more of these people who he can send out to cast out demons and heal all diseases and to work signs and wonders and miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit so that the message that they declare would be validated by the power of God made manifest. And as we know, if we keep reading in, the, in Luke's narrative, well, we get to the book of Acts, Right? Luke wrote both the gospel of Luke and then immediately following was the book of Acts. And this is after Jesus' death, his resurrection and his ascension. The the church is clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit and the apostles and others begin performing supernatural signs and wonders and people are healed just constantly. And, And historically, biblically and historically, this is the reason, this is the primary reason that the gospel spread throughout the Mediterranean world. You cannot get around it. I recently uh, just read a book called By Signs and Wonders. By Signs and Wonders. If you're interested in in this, what I'm talking about, you might read this book. A man named Stephen D. Elliott did his doctoral work on on evangelism and how the gospel spreads um, and the works of God throughout history and et cetera. And he, he came to this conclusion. Friendship evangelism, or uh, lifestyle evangelism, which is probably the kind of evangelism that you and I have heard about most. It's that which says, uh, if I'm just a Christian, if I'm the Christian that I'm supposed to be and I associate with or am in relationship with non-Christians, the gospel will spread. They will give their lives to Christ. Um, he says that kind of evangelism simply does not work, never has worked, never will on a large scale. Um, and And he really makes an incredibly strong case that I personally cannot argue against, um, how this is true. The gospel spreads and has spread, always will spread when its message is validated by the power of God made manifest. Even today, whole villages and whole communities are converted to Christianity, not because the gospel is preached, that because dead people are raised to life, I mean, it's still, these stories still happen because blind people are made to see because people uh, with, with short limbs end up growing longer. I mean, this it's crazy supernatural stuff happens today and it is the primary reason that Christianity is exploding in other areas of the world even today. So he makes the point that these things not only do happen, but they must happen. And while, as I said, I don't have a lot of experience, I do have a little. And I know that some of you have much more. Some of you have your own stories of miraculous healing. But then there are also some, like myself sometimes, um, who have, for one reason or another, sort of resigned yourself to this purely spiritual Christianity, right? It's a Christianity with power to change me inwardly, but not to really uh, have any, any real outward displays of God's power. We don't wanna, that's all hocus pocus, right? And, and maybe you have good reasons for that. Maybe you have uh, a life of prayer where you've been praying to God for these types of things and he's never answered you, right? Maybe you've heard the, the prosperity gospel that says if, you're, if you just um, have enough faith, if you're a good enough Christian, then you will prosper in every way and you and your family will be healthy and you'll be wealthy. And that's just, and, and you've, you've seen uh, church leaders sort of abuse this gift of healing in order to make money. And you see, I mean, there are all of these reasons why we may be skeptical to approach the topic. But let me tell you that this is biblical and historical Christianity, and we cannot avoid it. This is an accurate depiction of our God and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we, we faithfully approach this topic today of healing. I'm gonna do my best um, to, to just be faithful with you um, as we look at what God may want to do here in our community. I think it's important that we, as a body of believers at Schweitzer, that we begin to open ourselves, right, to the supernatural, extraordinary works of the Spirit, to begin to expect these things, want these things, pray for these things, because in our country, can you tell me that this kind of Christian life that we're living is really making a massive difference. Is Christianity spreading across our land? No. Man, as we pray for a great awakening, we need to to realize this deep need that our culture has to see the power of God made manifest. And we need not be afraid to ask these things. So, as we... Approach this topic. There's one really important thing that I wanna say this morning um, is that there is no formula. Listen, as I talk about healing, I'll say it again, there is no formula. And I, I, I hope, I think this will sort of pacify any concerns that you may have about this topic. There is no formula. What I mean is that A plus B plus C e- does not equal healing, all right? It's not like if I just have enough faith and if I go to the right person, the holiest person, and if I say the perfect prayer or use the right holy oil to anoint myself or whatever, then I will be healed. No, that, that, that's magic, right? Magic tries to take control of elements, material, immaterial, whatever, to, to make things happen supernaturally, right? God is not under our control. You've got to understand that, all right? There is no formula. So while things like faith, and faithfulness are components of healing that God can use. It does not mean that if we meet all these perfectly right criteria and make this perfect formula, that God is under any obligation to heal us. You hear me? So, so important as we approach this topic is that, is that there's nothing wrong with, with making our requests known to God, but we must humbly submit ourselves to his divine will that he knows much better than we do, understanding that it's his choice He's under no obligation, it's his choice to heal when and how and who he decides, okay? Um, And then lastly on that point is is this idea that, look, any and all physical healing in this life is temporary anyway, right? Even even as we'll read in the text, there's a a 12-year-old girl who's brought back to life. Jesus brings her back to life from the dead. Well, she eventually died. (laughs) She's she's not still alive, right? Right? All physical healing in this life is temporary, which makes it overwhelmingly clear that, that God's will is for all of us, all of our bodies to eventually degrade and for all of us to eventually die so that we might be fully healed and restored in the final resurrection, right? That's what we believe, all right? And so um, one more reason to trust God's will for when and where and, and who and how he, he heals, okay? Scripture time. Luke chapter eight, verse 40 through 56. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, She touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. "'Who touched me?' Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, "'Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you.' But Jesus said, "'Someone deliberately touched me, "'for I felt healing power go out from me.' When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell on her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had immediately been healed." "'Daughter,' he said to her, "'your faith has made you well. "'Go in peace.'" While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, "'Your daughter is dead. "'There's no use troubling the teacher now.'" But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, "'Don't be afraid. "'Just have faith, and she will be healed.'" When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, stop the weeping, she isn't dead, she's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. So we're told that the crowds had been waiting for Jesus. Why? I want you to hear this. Jesus was not just an amazing teacher, but they had heard that Jesus was a healer. Jesus' teaching, sure, it drew crowds, but what really drew the crowds were the fact that he had a power that no one else had. Jesus did not just have a message to declare or wisdom to share. He had real, immediate, life-changing power available to those who came to him in faith. This is what drew the crowds. They had heard that he could do things that no one else could do. And so among this crowd, there were two people more desperate than any others, Jairus and the woman. Let's look at Jairus. He's a leader of the local synagogue. What does that tell me? He had friends who were other religious leaders in that day. He knew people who likely didn't didn't really care for Jesus, that his reputation would have maybe been on the line, right, by associating himself with Jesus because some of his friends were the very people who persecuted Jesus. But for all the reasons that he may have had to keep his distance from Jesus, there was one reason that he could not stay away. It's because he was a father, hopelessly in love with a daughter who he could not help. And he had heard that Jesus was a healer. And so in this public act of desperation and of humility, he fell at Jesus' feet and he begged him to come home with him. Now let's look at the woman. For 12 years, she had had a, a hemorrhage, a menstrual bleeding that wouldn't stop. If you wanna read about Jewish law on this issue, uh, go check out Leviticus 15. It's not the most fun chapter in scripture, but it's there. And uh, it talks all about how when there's these kinds of uh, situations, this bleeding, how it makes you unclean. And if you're unclean, then anything you touch becomes unclean. And anything anyone you touch becomes unclean. Right? And anyone who touches anything that you touch becomes unclean, which makes you an exile among your own people. Because people who are unclean can't go into the temple. They can't go into the synagogue, right? This woman for 12 years was an exile among her own people. And by all accounts, she should not have been in the crowd that day. She should not have walked up to Jesus, the holiest person in that crowd, daring to make him unclean by touch, right? But for all these reasons that she had to, st- to stay away, there was still one reason she couldn't. It's because she had heard that Jesus was a healer and she herself needed healing. And there are so many reasons why we ourselves might be inclined not to ask Jesus for healing, not to seek him out. Fear of looking desperate, right? Being exposed as, as sick or in need. Uh, maybe our own sinfulness or uncleanness, right? I shouldn't even be here. Who am I to, to approach Jesus or or to go to to church. Some people don't even like stepping foot in a church. uh, uh, Maybe we wanna protect our image. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's doubt. There are all of these sorts of things that keep us from approaching Jesus, but it's our greatest infirmities, is it not? The things we're most desperate to change that challenge us at least to ask. What would it be like if every day we realized how desperately we needed Jesus and we let none of these things getting in the way, how much more grace might we receive? How much deeper love might we know? How much greater power might be made manifest in our lives if daily we approached Jesus because we were desperate for the healing that he has promised us? So back to the woman, she devises this plan to to get in and get out, right? She's gonna walk stealthily through the crowds and just touch the hem of his robe so that even Jesus doesn't know, get her healing, and then get out of there unnoticed. No one has to know I was here. She was right about one thing, she got healed. She could not have been more wrong about the fact that she could remain hidden. Because what happened is she touches his robe and he feels the healing power leave him and he stops dead in his tracks and he says, who touched me? His disciples are like, bro, everyone's touching you. You're crazy, what are you talking about? And he says, no, someone deliberately touched me. I felt the power leave me. I need to know who this person is. And so at the very same moment, her, her dream has come true. And she's also living a nightmare, right? She got her healing, but it's like her worst nightmare is to be exposed among these people and have to tell everyone publicly what was going on with her and what had happened and, and to look foolish and desperate. And I, I, I've been there. You see, she didn't realize the power of Jesus wasn't just some like magical force that she could just tap into by, touch, by touching his robe, right? The power of Jesus The power that healed her was the very power of God's love working through Jesus to reconcile her to himself. Let me explain this. She she didn't realize you can't just take from Jesus without Jesus taking notice, right? Never is Jesus content with just being an impersonal means to a personal gain. In other words, God is not content to heal her or heal us without establishing a connection, right? I've got to know who it was, that I just healed, because that's of primary importance. I've got to know you, and you need to know me. No matter what kind of healing we seek, you need to hear this morning, that is always God's primary concern. It's connecting with, having a conversation with, showing love to you. This is the ultimate purpose of miracles and healing all throughout Scripture. And you know what I find most interesting about the woman's story is that the only way for her to meet Jesus was to share her story publicly. He did not give her another option. You hear that? The only way for her to have this connection with Jesus was to share her story publicly. I think sometimes we reserve our testimonies for the prayer closet. You know what I mean? Like I'll just praise God and thank God and sound foolish and desperate on my own time secretly in my own house, right? And, that's, and, and we'll be good, God and me. What if it wasn't just meant for your prayer closet, right? What if the very reason God moved in you was so that your story would be shared and others would know and see the power and the love of God? What if sharing your story is actually a means to connecting with God on a deeper level than you ever have before? Uh, That that prayer retreat that I was at after I'd been healed, I remember, um, you know, we all gathered back together and, and asked the question, what did God... You know, did he answer any prayers? Did, did anything happen in your group prayer time? And I was this close to just not saying anything because you, I, I don't know if you've ever experienced something like this where um, some of you, I know, I know some of you have, where God heals you or does something big. It is really hard, even when you're certain of it, to stand up publicly and say, God healed me. Like, I sound crazy, you know? And, and I know if anyone else in this room is skeptics like me, I'm, I'm thinking like, yeah, but did he really, bro? Come on, you know, I, that's, and, but it was this act of, of, of faith that I felt that I had, I had to make it public and just say, I believe God healed me. And I really sensed after I did that, that God sealed the deal through that public testimony. Afterwards, I mean, even in retrospect, I don't know that, that I would have remained he, healed for two or three years afterwards had I not made that, that, that kind of sealed the deal. And what precious words, what a precious affirmation she receives from Jesus as a response to to sharing her story. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. She would have never received that. He says, daughter, son, child, your faith has made you well. You're well. You're healed. Don't doubt it. Now go and have peace. At this point in the story, you may have forgotten about Jairus. Well, we're told that as Jesus is having a conversation with the woman still, uh, uh, what does it say? Messenger from the home of Jairus comes and meets him. Comes from his home and he says, your daughter is dead. No point in troubling a teacher now. Don't bother Jesus. It's too late, she's dead. And what does Jesus say? Don't be afraid, just have faith and she will be healed. These are two very uh, uh, opposing narratives. They're competing with one another. There's no use troubling the teacher now, but the teacher says, don't be afraid, just have faith and she will be healed. You can probably imagine Jairus getting inside of his head, wrestling with the doubt inside of himself that says she's dead but the teacher, the person who I've come to to ask for healing, he says, have faith and I promise you she will be healed. You can just imagine on the way home, him wrestling with this. Will he really do this? Should I? How do I have faith? What is, and this dichotomy, I think, captures the life of faith pretty accurately, does it not? God makes promises that require faith for fulfillment. Some of these promises are, uh, are unique to people. For instance, uh, his promise to Jairus, I will heal your daughter, just have faith. That's, that's unique to him. This is not a general declaration to all Christians ever that he will heal whoever or whatever you want um, if you just have faith. That's, this, is, this is a unique promise to Jairus, but it is a promise nonetheless And it is through faith, Jesus says, that your daughter will be healed. More generally speaking, though, all the promises contained throughout Scripture, that of salvation itself, we receive how? By faith. That's right. How difficult it can be to hold on to that faith when all evidence suggests that we should not. When the enemy is in our ears saying, why trouble Jesus now? There's no hope, it's too late. God doesn't have the power to do that. Don't bother even asking, you know? But it is through faith that we receive these promises. Faith is and always has been the means by which we take hold of the gifts and the promises of God, you hear me? Faith is the means, if God is holding out a gift to you, faith is the means by which we reach out and take hold of that gift. You're hard pressed to find a story in scripture where faith to some degree is not the means by which someone is healed or the result of the healing itself, you just, they don't exist. Everywhere this is the case. And so if we have not faith, we should expect nothing from God. Now just as the woman was healed through her faith, it's through Jairus' faith that his daughter was healed you hear that subtlety? The woman was healed through her own faith, but it's through Jairus' faith that his daughter was healed. That's what I call surrogate faith. But that's beautiful, isn't it? Is it possible that there's someone in your life? Maybe you don't need the healing this morning. Is there someone in your life who God intends to heal through your faith, through your prayers, through your seeking out Jesus and asking and leading him home to that person? You hear me? That's a beautiful and encouraging word. So what does this faith look like? Oral Roberts, who was a famous uh, preacher back in the day, he once said, faith needs something to do and something to touch. I'll say that again. Faith needs something to do and something to touch. When the woman heard that Jesus was in town, she couldn't just stay in her house. She couldn't just stay at home and just hope to God that the power of Jesus was somehow conveyed to her through her wishes and her dreams and her prayers. Faith required that she leave her home, go into a place where she was socially unacceptable, risk all sorts of things, not the least of which is is not actually being healed, right? She, She was risking being turned down and just putting herself out on a limb. Faith required this, Faith in Jesus required this because, it, because faith needs something to do and something to touch. When Jesus told Jairus to just have faith and your daughter will be healed, this wasn't just a purely cerebral statement, like just believe it's strong enough. No, faith required Jairus to stick by Jesus' side and lead him back to his house faithfully to his daughter where Jesus could reach out and touch her so that she might be healed. Faith required that. Faith needs something to do and something to touch. You hear me? Contrary to what some have heard, contrary to what many have said, faith cannot just sit here and say, I believe. True faith cannot do that. It cannot just sit here and say, I believe. Faith forces me to seek out Jesus and to touch Faith forces me to get a little uncomfortable. Faith risks being seen by others, right? Faith risks being found out by God. That's an uncomfortable one. Faith risks being let down and left unhealed, right? Faith risks asking a question to which the answer is no. Faith moves us towards Jesus to see him, to know him, to touch him, and to boldly ask of him what we would ask of no one else. That's faith. It needs something to do and something to touch. So this morning we wanna give you something to do and something to touch. You'll notice here that the band is gonna gonna come up and we're gonna play some sort of background music for uh, for a little bit of time here, five minutes or so. And you'll notice there are these uh, skirts, these cloths draped over the prayer rails, just as the woman walked up to Jesus to touch the hem of his robe and was healed. If you wanna receive personal healing this morning, ask. I can't promise you anything, but but I I, I can offer you the ability to, in faith, come forward and ask, to reach out and and touch something in faith. I'd like to remind you, the woman, she didn't even touch Jesus. She touched something that touched Jesus, right? If that's not a sacrament, I don't know what is. That's why I love communion, the the bread and and the juice, you know? It's like, because God works powerfully through elements, more importantly, through faith to accomplish his will. And so if you'd like personal healing in this time, come forward and ask. If you'd like to have surrogate faith for someone else and to ask Jesus to go and heal someone else you know, then go to the prayer wall and write down a prayer and stick it in the wall and let that be your something to do, right? And then lastly, um, Krista and myself will be here uh, to pray over anyone. If you'd like to be prayed over, hands laid on you. And there will also be uh, very experienced and gifted prayers in the prayer room right back there um, that you can receive prayer from in this time and after the service. And so guys, ask. Let your requests be made known to God and let's just openly seek him in this time. What, What can go wrong? To be made whole and that we might go from this place in peace. We are going to um, just, just be really attentive to the needs of our community and those around us. If you don't know what to pray for, pray for the people you see up here, just privately from your seats. You know, I mean, it's like, be a surrogate faith for others who need healing. Um, and it may not be physical healing, it may be inward, spiritual, to any degree, ask. Father, we, um, we thank you for your word uh, that promises that promises a kingdom that is not just later that we don't have to wait for but is, is here and now. We thank you that, for a spirit that comes not just to be present with us but to empower us we, in your name, there is power. I pray against any um, skepticism in my own heart in our hearts um, any barriers that that should not exist that you would um, honor whatever little faith we come to you with Um, and that you would heal us in the ways that we ask. We pray that you would do things here this morning that that stir conversation that that people can't keep their mouths shut about and that validate the very gospel that's being preached. Father, we love you and just pray that you pour out your Holy Spirit in this place in these elements the cloth the prayer wall the prayers um, and make us whole send us away in peace in Jesus name